is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Your host, Connor McKnight. It's 1230. This is White Sox Weekly, but I am not Connor McKnight. I am Jeff Meller, pinch hitting for Connor. He'll be with you for the pre and post game today as the White Sox get set for their second game of a three game set against the Twins at Target Field after. What I would deem the most frustrating loss of the season last night as they got the series underway at Target Field, a 2-1 to loss in a game that Michael Kopech looked sterling. The White Sox were leading one to nothing into the eighth inning. It felt like they were doing all the right things to get back to the winning ways. But unfortunately, Tim Anderson, who's been struggling in the field all season long, had... I, It's one of those instances where you wonder when things are going poorly for a professional athlete in the field like that, if in a big moment it got the best of Tim Anderson. It clearly seemed like it as he mentioned in the postgame, he struggled to get a hold of the ball and out of his glove on a rainy night in Minnesota. And unfortunately, his throwing error cost the White Sox the lead, and then ultimately uh, what would be a go-ahead run on the very same play when Jose Abreu compounded things and made it worse. So the White Sox right now in the midst of a five-game losing streak try and get that out of their system today when they take on the Twins at 3.05. We will have first pitch for you right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. This, though, is White Sox Weekly. We are here for you, your opportunity to dis- dis- discuss all and everything White Sox here on ESPN 1000. 312-332-3776 if you'd like to discuss anything involving the White Sox. And, of course, it's been a very difficult week. The Cleveland Guardians, that disastrous series. Weather obviously set the tone, I think, observing it from afar. It was curious to see the second game be postponed when there really wasn't much rain in the forecast forcing the White Sox into a double header which obviously started very very poorly when Dallas Keuchel did not give the White Sox anything they lost the opener 11 to 1 they would go on to lose the second of the twin bill 2 to 1 and of course the Guardians completed the truncated sweep with a 6-3 to three victory, and that is essentially what the White Sox are dealing with this week. They've lost five in a row, and they are now 6-7 and seven on the season. And if uh, it was Friday night and you didn't have a, a great opportunity to really bear down and watch the White Sox, let's get, get you caught up on what you missed. As I mentioned at the top, Michael Kopech, now I think this was the real bright spot of last night's game. He was fantastic giving White Sox fans exactly what they've been hoping for. And it's all really showed you what he was capable of in the fourth inning. Kopech has a sign from McGuire. Low target. Here's a pitch. Swing and a miss. He didn't hit the target. It was up, but he got the desired result. Kopech lets it fly. Swing and a miss. Strike three. More high heat. 3-2. Called strike three. He just struck out the side. 
Six strikeouts for Michael Kopech. Yeah, so right there, Kopech doing everything you would expect. And, of course, it being early in the season, he really did give the White Sox a great outing. What you exactly want to see from a guy who one day has the potential to be a stopper. Unfortunately, because it is so early in the season, he was pulled after 83 pitches. He would go another inning and get another strikeout. But five scoreless innings last night, three hits, one walk, seven Ks, dropping his ERA to .64 on the season. But, of course, he left the White Sox in very good shape. And it was because Andrew Vaughn had put them in the lead. Over making his third start. Went five innings in his first one, six in his last outing. And a high, deep fly ball to center field. Gordon back. He is at the fence. That baby's gone. It's a home run. Andrew Vaughn makes it one nothing. White Sox. So a fifth inning homer for Andrew Vaughn there. His third of the season, seventh RBI, put the White Sox in the lead one to nothing. And, of course, that's not what White Sox fans, that's not enough for White Sox fans offensively. But it felt like it was going to be enough for the White Sox until the eighth inning abounded. And Kendall Graveman, who actually got the first two outs, and it seemed like it wasn't going to be a problem for them getting to the ninth. Unfortunately, that is when all hell broke loose. And a, a uh, Graveman allows a double. And then, as I mentioned, the aforementioned Tim Anderson error was the problem. The 1-0... Ground ball is short. Tim's got to throw to first. Ball gets by Abreu. A run scores to tie it and a rise to third. And the throw gets away from Graveman and a run scores. Throw to second late. Jose probably should have just eaten it, but he fired to home. And he overthrew McGuire. And the Twins now have the lead. That's a whole lot of bad on a ground ball to shortstop. Yeah, and again, this is uh, this is where things are getting a little bit dicey for White Sox fans as Tim Anderson now has, I believe, six errors in the field, and that one was really tough to watch on the replay. You see he comes up with the ball and actually ends up taking, I believe, five steps, four to five steps before he can get the throw off because he, w- he just had the ball stuck in his glove and couldn't get it out. And at that point, when he got to that fourth-slash-fifth step when he was letting the ball fly, he clearly had, he knew he, he had to hurry the play because Carlos Correa was getting down the line quickly. And sure enough, you know, the, the, the throw was completely off target. Jose Abreu never really had a chance to make a play on the ball. But then as you heard from Len Casper there in the call, you know, he compounds things by going ahead and throwing the ball away, which gives the Twins the go-ahead run, which would ultimately be the winning run in the game. Now, the White Sox put up a fight. They were able to go ahead and put some runners on. Aloy Jimenez coming up with a leadoff double on Emilio Pagan. However, when the when it was when it came down to trying to push that fi- that tying run across the plate, and the White Sox were down to their final out, this is what happened. The three-two called strike three, and the ball game is over, and the Twins. Come back late and a heartbreaking loss. 
You said it, Len. Heartbreaking, definitely not the way people wanted to get their weekend started, but the White Sox fall to the Twins 2-1 to one at Target Field last night, which drops them to 6-7 and seven on the season. Now, they are also now one game back of the Guardians in the division, and I know White Sox fans are very frustrated because they are on that five-game losing streak. You start out 6-2, and two, lots of optimism abounds, and yet you have hit the point in the season where... It feels like everything is going wrong, and it certainly is not the way White Sox fans wanted this one to go because with expectations, that's that's really what I think drives where we're at right now. I think the hope for White Sox fans right now is that this is going to be the year when they can go ahead and do what they did in 2005 and win that World Series. And there is a lot right now riding on this year, and Tony La Russa is under the microscope. We're going to get into that a lot today. I know people are very frustrated with some of his lineup decisions. Larry Garcia being batted third, not once, but twice, and then being pushed up to second. White Sox fans, I have good news for you if that's been an issue for you as uh, Larry Garcia is not hitting second or third today. The starting lineup for today's 305 start for the White Sox. Tim Anderson at shortstop will be leading off. Andrew Vaughn with the home run last night will be playing right field, hitting second. Jose Abreu batting third, playing first. DHing. Yasmani Grandal, the man who a lot of people wanted to see come in in a pinch-hitting role last night for McGuire, uh, he will be cleaning up. In left field, batting fifth, Eloy Jimenez. Uh, hitting sixth in center field will be Adam Engel. Now, Larry Garcia will be playing second and in a probably more, I would say, more palatable spot in the order at seventh. Reese McGuire will be doing the catching, hitting eighth, and Jake Berger will be hitting ninth, playing third base with Vince Velasquez on the mound for the White Sox today. Again, your first pitch at 3.05. Connor will have the pregame at 2.30. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor today here on White Sox Weekly and the ESP 1000 White Sox, Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. All right, White Sox fans, how are you feeling right now at 6 and 7? Share your frustration with me. I give you the optimistic point of view, though. It is baseball... In April, always feels like what's happening is a bigger indictment on the totality of the season. But I'm here to share with you the fact that it only feels that way because it is the first part of the season. A 6-7 and seven skid 13 games into the season, if you're 85 games into the year, if you, if you, if you break it down and say, okay, games 85 through 98, 6-7, and seven, doesn't feel nearly as bad. It only feels this this bad right now because of where we're at in the season and the fact that there are so many heightened expectations to go along with this White Sox team. But I provide for you evidence that it is not the end of the world. The sky is not falling. All you need to do is look at the 2021 Braves, also known as last year's World Series champs. The Atlanta Braves were 52 and 55 so that's three games under 500, 107 games into the season. And if you want to go ahead and make it exactly two-thirds of the way through the season, so one more game, they ended up going winning that game. They were 53 and 55 at that point. So the Atlanta Braves were two games under 500. Your World Series champs last season were right there. And nobody even thought they were going to make the playoffs. So I see a few phone callers there, 312-332-3776. We will get you up here shortly. But 
This is your turn to uh, to sound off, White Sox fans. Let me know what you think about where they're at right now. I will definitely be taking your calls on White Sox Weekly here, 312-332-3776. Again, I am Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today. Uh, Connor will be here for you with the pregame show, though. And I do want to remind Sox fans, join us at Guaranteed Rate Field next Friday, April 29th, as the Sox take on the Los Angeles Angels at 610. Be sure to stay after the game for a post-game fireworks show presented by the Morton Arboretum celebrating 100 years of planting and protecting trees. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. Again, I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight here on White Sox Weekly. We're here until 2.30 today taking your calls. Let me know what you think about what Tony LaRusso has been doing with the lineup lately. Uh, how you feel about this five-game losing streak that they're entrenched in right now. Taking your calls. Again, 312-332-3776. This is White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Greeny, 10 to noon weekdays on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller filling in for Connor McKnight today. Connor will be with you for the pregame show at 2.30 with a 3.05 first pitch as the White Sox attempt to get off the schneid uh, in Minnesota at Target Field and put an end to this five-game losing streak. Again, White Sox Weekly with you every Saturday during the Sox season for two full hours of White Sox Breakdown. Your chance to discuss anything you want about the White Sox. Here for you, again, 312-332-3776. Let's get things started out in Westchester with Brandon. Brandon, you're on White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Hey, thanks for taking my call, first of all. Hey, just just let me say this as, as as a White Sox fan, and I'm not I'm not uh, stressing this at you. People need to stop telling us how to think and tell us how to feel. If we're frustrated and disappointed, I don't care if it's the first game, the fifth game. The, so what? This team is disappointing. This is ridiculous. And, and and you're sitting up here with a major league team. Oh, if Tim Anderson don't hit, then the rest of us don't hit. That's pathetic. And, and Rick Hahn, I got to take a shot at you because those two free agent moves, Dallas Keiko is not a major league pitcher. I'm going to say it again. Dallas Keiko is not a major league pitcher. Gross Monty Grandog, what you just said, Jeff, no, we didn't want to see him. No, we didn't. He has no reason than third or fourth, period. We don't want to clean up here to waiting for a walk at $18 million a year and a catcher who is not defensively. All of his home runs are single home runs with no one on base. He don't give us big hits. He sits up there and waits for a walk. And Tony La Russa with this, I need righties, lefties, righties, lefties. That's garbage. Hot garbage. There's no way this man should be batting third or fourth in your lineup. That's a premium spot, and he don't get it done. He hasn't had any big hits. He had one walk-off last year. I give him that. But when you look at his home runs, they always come with the game out of reach. It's never they brought us back or tie it up. And we paying 18 to $20 million for that? And we got Dallas Cockle for $18 million? White Sox fans should be frustrated because this is unacceptable. And I'm a sick of season host, a sick of season. I will not go there to watch Dallas Cockle pitch. I'm not wasting my time. That's a waste of time to sit that man, to, to go through and sit and watch him pitch because he's not an MLB pitcher. And, and people stop telling us how to feel. This is frustration. These guys should be professionals professionals and he should have been dropped Lurie in the lineup 
And, and you know what? As a White Sox fan, yes, I'm a fan, and I'm going to say this. I hope it continues to go bad until the All-Star break, just so LaRusso can get fired. Peace. All right, Brandon, I hear your frustration. The Dallas Keuchel, the White Sox, I think are clearly in a bit of a trick bag here, awaiting a Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito to return to the rotation. It would be, well, I certainly don't think it's a long leash anyway, but Dallas Keuchel's current situation in the rotation, I think you kind of know where it's going based on the fact that he was not on the playoff roster uh, at the at, during last season. You know, um, Dallas Keuchel's inability to get people out at this point in his career is apparent to every, anybody who's watching the game, and it was never more apparent than the first game of the doubleheader against the Guardians earlier this week. At this point, he's uh, sporting the ERA of 15, which certainly is not going to get the job done. But I think the White Sox find themselves in a position where until they feel comfortable bringing Johnny Cueto up to take that turn in the rotation, they just need somebody. And you're right, Brandon. At this point, it's not clearly good enough, giving up 10 runs and seven of them earned. I do think he gave them, you know, his first outing of the season wasn't great by any means, but it was certainly better than anything we've seen from him in a while. When five innings, you know, three earned runs, five Ks, it was the kind of outing where you thought, okay, maybe Dallas Keuchel, if he, you know, can get things turned around, can give you that fifth starter spot where, you know, if things are going okay, he can give you a professional outing. I think we all know at this point in his career, He's unlikely. He's not. He's certainly not going to go back to the guy who won a Cy Young in Houston. But the reality is, the White Sox. I think you know it's early in the year, a truncated spring training where they only had three weeks to get to get uh, ramped up, and then you've got Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito on the IL. And I will give you good news. It looks like, uh, based on everything we've heard from Tony La Russa. Lucas Giolito will be, I think we expect, to be returning to the mound tomorrow for the White Sox against the Twins. He was with them in Cleveland. He's already thrown. Uh, he, he was off throwing off the mound, I believe it was the 19th, which would put him right in line to start tomorrow. So even though we don't have the official word from Tony La Russa that he will be the starter, all signs point to him being the man who will be on the mound for the White Sox. And once you get Giolito... I think you can feel a little bit more comfortable about going through that rotation. And that's where, at that point, I do think Dallas Keuchel's spot on this roster really will be put under the microscope as well because clearly he can't keep giving you one-inning efforts. Um, you know, if he's going to give up three or four or five runs, you need, to tr- you need to see him get through five, maybe six innings at least to give you a fighting chance. Let's go on out to Willow Grove and say good afternoon to George who is also, I believe, a frustrated White Sox fan. Hey, George, you you're on White today? Sox Weekly, my man. How are you guys doing today? We're doing all right. Could use a White Sox win. That would be nice. Yeah, all right. So here's what I saw last year, okay? I saw a bunch of dumpster divers constantly hacking at slot. I saw a bunch of players that were not anywhere near so slick as they think they were, okay? They're slick, but they're not anywhere near as slick as they think they are. Uh, when it comes to statistics, they're at the bottom of the league and making contact. They they foul off, pop up, and strike out as as many times as any team in the league. 
They can't catch the ball. They can't run the faces. Everyone needs a raise because they refuse to bust their ass out of the box. They're obviously not making enough money. Uh, and then to top it off, you got Tony Baloney needs his nappy nap time along about the seventh inning. So, you know, making some smart moves late in the game uh, is not part of it. And what changed? All of a sudden, uh, you know, you flip a switch and everything is everything. Now this year, everything's going to be fine. You got to show me, you know, and T.A., make the routine play. Will you please? Thank you. And uh, let your play do your speaking for you. Don't be telling you telling everyone you got the best team in the American League. No, you don't. You're right now. You're a second to your team. You're not. You're not. Uh, you got World Series uh, aspirations. You should seek professional help for your delusional psychosis. All right, George. Thank you for the call. We appreciate your comments. I will say. You know, they're six and seven. They're a game out of first place. Um, you know, and Brandon, I understand Brandon, uh, previous caller said, listen, don't tell me how to feel. I'm a Sox fan. I want in, and I hear you. Most Sox fans out there who, you know, are diehards who go to, who have a season ticket package, whether it be, you know, a full 81 games or if you got a 10 or, you know, a 20 game pack, I understand and feel your frustration, but I, I do have to. From my perspective, and I'm not trying to tell Brandon or other people, hey, if you want to be upset, I understand it. Uh, we appreciate the passion for the White Sox. We all want to see them win. I just look at it in the sense that it's been a difficult start to the season. They have had some tough injuries, and there's a lot of things going on, too, and it's hard to draw any grand conclusions about exactly what the the effect of a, a, a humidor in every park is doing what kind of baseballs we're dealing with? Are we actually, if you look right now, the home run rate across baseball is down to one of the lowest in 30 years. So, yeah, we certainly have some issues across the league. And how much of it is based on, you know, cold weather and a small sample size? That is something that I'm going to need to see play out. And, yes, the White Sox, it would it'd be nice to see them get on base a little bit more. And trust me. They're doing their best. They are trying to do that. I promise you that. And Tim Anderson, yeah, I, I do think, it, trust me, uh, James Fegan wrote a great piece in The Athletic today about Tim Anderson's struggles in the field, how the White Sox actually had believed that they had identified an issue with uh, his throwing as right before the game. They thought they had kind of nipped it in the bud and figured out something where he was cutting his throws a little bit short not following through completely, which was giving him a little bit of, according to uh, Fegan and someone inside the White Sox organization that he spoke with, a two-seam action where he was getting some movement away from Jose Abreu when he was trying to throw. And the truth is that that's something Tim Anderson is working on. They're aware of, and he's trying to get that fixed. It's just, it was a tough moment. And yeah, you're right, George. They're professional athletes who are paid a handsome sum of money, but I promise you this. They all want it very bad, and I promise you they want to win even more than us, the fans. They're out there busting their ass, doing their best, and right now Tim Anderson is in a funk in the field. But I promise you from everything I've seen from him as a player, he is going to work as hard as anybody to get out of it, and I trust that he eventually will. It just it was an unfortunate moment to have that ball hit to him at that time of the game because, yeah, he is in a fielding funk right now. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today here on White Sox Weekly. Connor will be up at 2.30 with the pregame show. We've got a 3.05 first pitch as the White Sox take on the Twins. But 
Plenty of time for your phone calls. 312-332-3776. Tom and Joliet, you are up next here, but we'll take a quick time out. Don't forget, grab your friends and head to the park for Miller Lite bleachers and brews. Get one ticket and two beers starting at $27 all season long. Must be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit whitesocks.com slash brew. Before we take a quick time out, let's pause 10 seconds for a legal ID. From the First Midwest Bank, a division of Old National Bank, State Street Studio. This is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. Back on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network, I am Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. Again, 312-332-3776, your chance to weigh in on all things White Sox. Have we seen something today in baseball that we will never see again? Talk about it next. We're on Twitch. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago. Bring the beat in. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller hanging out with you until 2.30 today. So make sure you jump on in. 312-332-3776 if you want to talk White Sox. Of course, being stuck in a five-game losing streak, hoping to get out of it today against the Twins with a 305 first pitch. Lennon DJ on the call for you right here. Let's head on out to Joliet and say good afternoon to Tom. Tommy, what's going on, man? Hey, not much. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Thanks um, for making it. Yeah, uh, I I agree with some of the previous callers. Uh, the gentleman that you know voices frustration and saying you know it. Yeah, we should be pretty irritated with what we've seen uh my biggest beef it's not necessarily the record or the replacing the standings um because it is april still uh my biggest complaint if you will is they made little to no effort to really make the team better in the off season mm-hmm. um they got beat to the punch in my opinion by teams that are going to finish very very possibly in third or fourth place in their divisions you got beat to the punch on getting a legitimate free agent starting pitcher. You didn't fill the hole with Rodon. Um, you picked up the Philadelphia Phillies' hand-me-downs and Vince Velasquez. It, like I, I don't understand why when the clock struck midnight on free agency, they felt the need to bring back Leary Garcia. And then you go and get Josh Harrison, who's pretty much the same guy. Uh, he just bats right-handed. He plays a, a better defense in the infield, but he's not scaring anybody with his offense um so you didn't address that is you sign two guys that don't bring a whole lot to the table or haven't thus far you didn't fill the holes with the starting pitching i do like the aj pollock move i i thought that was a great trade that that's likely going to work out for both clubs um Mm -hmm. but they didn't really address anything and now la russa is in love with garcia for whatever reason i i don't understand it uh the whole lefty-righty thing. The Cleveland Guardians kicked the snot out of us in game one of that doubleheader, and they had eight right-handed hitters and one lefty. Um, yeah, they no, you're right. I, they, Tom, you're right. They absolutely I, took advantage of Dallas Keuchel being on the mound, and they jumped on him, right? Sure, so, so, sure. So, and I, go ahead. I get they have certain things that they, you know, they wanted to go out and address, but you, they did not make any effort to fill any of those holes uh, in the offseason, and that when you have a core that's signed the long term, like Mankata and Robert and Aloy, 
and they are never healthy at the same time, that is very worrisome, in my opinion. No, it's fair. Uh, Tom, was there something, yeah. was there a player in particular that you really were hoping that they would land, just out of curiosity? There were a lot of players that I was like, hey, maybe they'll jump on this guy. One of them, Joey Wendell, for example. If you didn't want to go crazy with spending money and get the top guy, why couldn't you make an effort and reach out to a guy like him? He's a career 278 hitter, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. He's a true lefty. And he can play every infield position. Why did you not make an effort to get him? Like they, they prioritize Leary Garcia. I, I just don't understand it. No, That's it's I, listen, Tom. Uh, that, again, you know, uh, I, I share some of your frustration for sure. I will be honest. Um, Carlos Correa is somebody who I thought would be well outside of any real amount of money that they would want to spend, but. When I saw the contract come down with the Twins, the very team that they're playing today, and it ended up being a three-year deal for, I think, uh, roughly $105 million, but with a player option after each season, I'm not going to lie. That one really, really frustrated me. I do know that I'm sure a lot of the calculus was they were never really in that market because thinking, you know, the idea was that Correa was probably going to be, was, was looking for a deal well north of $200 million. And I think the reason he played, he um, signed such a short-term deal with the Twins was because once the lockout ended, they realized that that market wasn't going to be there this year. And so that's why I think the Twins got the deal on Correa that they did. In all likelihood, if he plays what he, you know, does what he does um, in his normal career, he will opt out after the end of this season and go right back out on the market looking for that big deal. But I thought that would have been when you saw the deal he signed would have been the perfect type of player where, yeah, it might've been a little bit more than you wanted to spend, but the flexibility of Correa to play shortstop or third base. And then you could have, you know, uh, again, Tim Anderson, we're seeing right now the struggles defensively, which we thought he had completely fixed last year, having only made 10 errors all season last year. Um, he really was, you know, sound defensively all year long, better than sound. One of the better defensive fielders in the game last year at shortstop. So I can understand why they weren't in a hurry to make a move. But Carlos Correa did win the gold glove last season. So he was somebody who, when I saw that contract come in, I certainly was disappointed that that's what it took. I understand the White Sox still have, they're still in the top third of highest payrolls in baseball. And so you can't just go ahead and fall back on the old trope that they're not spending money because they certainly are. But I'm with you. The window seems like it is open now and there's an opportunity to add to this. I do think, though, Rick Hahn is being judicious with the money that they're going to have available because I, I do know that Rick Hahn, it, you're, the team that you have to start the season is not going to be the team that you're relying on when you get into October baseball. Truth is, you're going to be dealing with injuries and you're going, to be, you're going to need to make moves to solidify whatever weaknesses have identified themselves at the trade deadline. And you're going to have to go and find some reinforcements. And, you know, the White Sox did it last year when they stepped up and they traded for Craig Kimbrell. And, you know, they, were, they, were, they went out on a limb trying to shorten up the game. And the problem we see sometimes is in small sample sizes that are a short playoff series – you know, things can, you know, you you hope to get lucky with the roll of the dice. You hope your hitters are hitting well and your pitchers are pitching well at that time of the year because oftentimes the team with the best record in baseball heading into the playoffs doesn't end up winning it. 
And we saw that last year with the Dodgers and Giants when they both entered with 108 and 107 wins. And then they, you know, saw the Braves winning the World Series. So the, it's, it's a difficult proposition for a baseball GM. You're trying to put together the best baseball team that can handle the grind of a 162-game season, but also have these high upside assets who, if they're playing their best, you know, for a a three, five, seven game set, can propel you to victory. So it is, it's a difficult balancing act. And I promise you that uh, Rick Hahn, I think the thought process was that's, the roster looked pretty good on paper heading into the regular season. They've just been bitten by the injury bug here early. And if they can kind of just weather the storm, they will be better served come trade deadline to have their powder ready to go to make a move. Let's go on out to Larry, who's on the south side. Larry, you're on White Sox Weekly. What's up, my man? Yeah, there's two things. First, I want to address uh, the Tony Lewis situation. I understand Tim Anderson, his, uh, his defense has been atrocious lately. Uh, it's been abominable, awful. But I want to address the second game of the Cleveland game the doubleheader, and the game yesterday. Uh, the pinch hitting, I don't understand when you put these guys that were overmatched when the time was to deliver a fly ball, and you got a, a, a grand dog sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. And this guy, what, he got three sacrifice flies this year? I think, I'm not mistaken, I could be a little bit off, but I'm sure he gets the ball up in the air. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't swing at bad pitches, okay? And... And another thing is, I want to know about the conditioning situation with the White Sox. Why they run down the first base, they always limp, come up limping. I mean, what's, what's up with that? I, I honestly don't believe it's anything in particular that the White Sox training staff is doing. It's They're playing a sport, man. And unfortunately, I, you know, Luis Robert, it's, you know, he is a physical specimen, and he's come up with some injuries. The good news is on that front, actually, that the latest is that Tony La Russa mentioned that um, they expect Luis Robert to return after the series for the White Sox and probably be back on Tuesday. Again, I mentioned earlier, uh, also Lucas Giolito. The hope is that uh, he will be the starter tomorrow for the White Sox in the final game of the series against the Twins at Target Field. So, that is certainly, you know, good news. And I hear you. Uh, you mentioned, you know, your frustration not seeing Yasmani Grandal pinch hit. You're not the only one who had that sense. Actually, on NBC Sports Chicago's postgame show, Chuck Garfine and Azagian discussed that very same thing. If there's ever a time for Yasmani Grandal to come into a game with the bases loaded, now granted, he didn't know if it was the bases maybe were going to be loaded when Reese McGuire was up, but still, you, as a manager, you got to think of all these things ahead of time, and you had, obviously, Yasmani Grandal on the bench, and he's one of your best hitters. Well, it's no doubt about it. Why? To me, when Grandal is at the plate, he's so good at him, so professional, what it, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you got to take his walk. The balls are, it's not on the plate. He have a good swing on it. He's the best guy you got out there. You know, I mean, I, I was surprised in a pinch hit for him. Uh, I wonder why they, they did it. And I hope, you know, they asked that. So that's a very honest question to ask. The decision to not have Yasmani Grandal pinch hit for McGuire. McGuire, I think, had a double earlier in the game. But there's Grandal and there's McGuire. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Grandal or McGuire or... 
or uh, there's Danny she, Mendes. No, she's she's Berger. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, you she's Berger struggle right now too. Yeah. Then Grandal, it will give you better ideas in the play. Don't you right, know Grandal right. is Grandal. All right, so you ask the question. Ozzy asked the question. Tony Larusa was asked the question in the post game. This was his answer. Yeah, I considered it. McGuire also hit a fly ball, then he for an out and a double down the left field line. Yes, it's coming in cold. He also hits a ground ball and it's a double play. And he had a bunch of good swings and the last pitch tailed a little bit and he flipped it. Give the pitcher credit. Thought Reese would drive him in. The answer is yeah, I considered it. For Berger, absolutely not. Berger is swinging the bat well. He had a good at bat. And I would agree with that. Jake Berger, um, even though he's uh, had some poor luck, he has been hitting the ball very hard. And the truth is that when the exit velocities are strong coming off the bat, that tends to portend good things down the line. So I do think that um, Jake Berger, if he does consistently get at bats and can um, continues to make solid contact, I do think Jake Berger uh, is a bat that can play at the major league level here. He just needs to uh, get a little bit of lucky here in where he puts the ball in play. But he has been hitting the ball hard, which is one of the better indicating stats. When you have a strong exit velocity at bat after at bat on those hits, usually those hard hit balls will find holes. So I agree with Tony there. That's the thought process. You don't necessarily have to agree with everything he said there, but he laid out for you. He considered pinch hitting Yasmani Grandal there in the ninth for Reese McGuire, but Reese McGuire had a couple of good at bats earlier in the game, and he, you know, it's that that balancing act of, okay, do you bring in a guy who is a veteran who has statistically proven that he what he's capable of throughout his career, but also understanding that that's his first look at live pitching in that critical instance. And I do think, you know, you heard it there. He It's something he's definitely thought about, but considering that McGuire had, had, uh, had put uh, Goodwood on the bat earlier in the game, he decided that that was the reason he was going to stick with it. So, you know, I think the, pro- the thought process there when Tony explained it actually makes a little bit more sense when you hear it. And also the double play potentially being uh, in play with the Osmani Grandal, of course, as well. So, you know, it didn't work out, certainly. But the bigger, you know, of course, the bigger issue for me uh, from yesterday's game was the fact that Tim Anderson is struggling and scuffling along in the field and really hoping to see him figure it out and get out of the funk be- that because they can't continue to have their shortstop make as many errors as he has in the, he is in the field right now. Now he's back at shortstop today, leading off. Uh, Andrew Vaughn is in right field, hitting second. Jose Abreu third. Yasmani Grandal in the lineup, DHing, hitting cleanup. Eloy Jimenez is in left field. Adam Angle will be your starting center field or today hitting sixth, Larry Garcia. Now that I know has been a point of contention for a lot of Sox fans. Larry Garcia will be hitting seventh today. Reese McGuire back at doing the catching, hitting eighth. And of course, Jake Berger, as I said earlier, he will be rounding it out, hitting ninth and playing third base for the White Sox. And you know what? Part of the reason the lineup is currently constructed the way it is, is because of all the injuries the White Sox are dealing with. Now, I have for you a injury update with a lot of good news looking like it's coming down the pike here. So I will give that to you next, along with what I mentioned earlier. Have we seen something for the last time in baseball today? Share that with you next. Chicago's home for sports. You've got us. ESPN 1000. 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today. Connor will have your pregame show coming up at 2.30. First pitch between the White Sox and Twins at Target Field coming your way at 3.05. Lennon DJ on the call. Entertain your group in the CIBC Fan Box, the only luxury suite on the main concourse. Enjoy customizable food and beverage options this season. For more information, call 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com slash suites. All right, so uh, I mentioned that we do, it looks like, have some good news regarding the White Sox injuries that they have really been under siege with all year long. Luis Robert, of course, had that mild groin strain um, leaving the game on Thursday in that loss to Cleveland the good news is it sounds like according to Tony La Russa that um, if they can uh, play him on Tuesday uh, and that's the tentative plan we'll see how he's feeling after this weekend but uh, that is some good news because obviously when you're struggling to push runs across the plate as the White Sox are right now Luis Robert having him back in the lineup would be critical Josh Harrison with the uh, shoulder spasms, um, you know, the when he made that uh, over-the-shoulder catch the other day, they're hoping that he may return this weekend. Now, obviously, he's not in the lineup today, but maybe he'll have a chance to play tomorrow or at least potentially on Tuesday as well. So it doesn't look like he'll have uh, an IL stint himself. And again, the big one here, as I've been talking about all show long, Lucas Giolito who suffered that abdominal strain when he was just absolutely nasty in his uh, first start of the season, just really showed, you know, the Cy Young potential that he has finishing as a Cy Young finalist uh, in the top 10, at least the last uh, few years, you know, he really looked like he had put it all together um, talking about all the additional conditioning he did over the winter and coming back stronger, adding adding muscle to his lower half, looked nasty in the opener. And, of course, he had to leave after 61 pitches, kind of left people wondering, hey, are they just being cautious? But he was clearly in complete control. No, no, he was, of course, dealing with that abdominal strain. But it sounds like, again, uh, not confirmed yet, but it sounds like Lucas Giolito will be on the hill tomorrow for the White Sox in the final game of the three-game set against the Twins at Target Field. So that is obviously going to be huge news because Lance Lynn is still currently on the shelf. We don't really have a a timeline for him just yet dealing with that right knee tendon tear. So Lance Lynn, it's going to be a little while. Remember, the initial timeline was two months. So Lance Lynn, you know, we're looking at probably early June um, for when you can maybe expect to see him return to the rotation. But again, until we uh, get to see him out throwing a little bit, hard to have an exact definitive timeline on him right now. But that is why, as uh, I believe Brandon, one of our earlier callers mentioned, you know, Dallas Keuchel, you know, they need him to take the ball and go out there and give them some quality innings. You know, the the one inning, 10 runs, seven of them earned against Cleveland is not going to play. And I promise you, Dallas Keuchel, is, as a proud veteran, is working and trying to figure it out. So, but as with Giolito returning, Johnny Cueto ramping up in the minors and getting um, getting set, that gives the White Sox some a couple of potential options to turn to in the rotation. And so, because of that, I do know that Dallas Keuchel is going to have to go out there and be better in his next start, or 
it is potentially going to be, you know, I think with every poor start that Alice Keuchel continues to give you, there is the potential for it to be the last start for the White Sox. You know, um, he's at a point now where there's really nothing but turn around or consider the fact that you're not going to have a chance, a spot in this rotation going forward. So he knows it. He's feeling the pressure. And, uh, you know, the White Sox are kind of just trying to tread water right now until they get a few more healthy people back. Of course, uh, the other one, too, the Yohan Mankata, who they're still awaiting on. That's going to be a little bit no definitive timeline because he's dealing with the strained right oblique. I will tell you, too, having covered baseball for a long time, the truth is that I would rather the White Sox be very cautious with the oblique strain because plenty of times in baseball you will see a player have an oblique injury and then quickly try and ramp up, get back out there. They'll go, you know, take some swings in the cage, feel good, and then all of a sudden when they get into that game situation, you know, they'll go ahead and re-injure themselves taking a hard swing with the core muscles there. So I'm hoping, and, and I, I, the hope is that the White Sox let Yohan Mankata recover completely because all the things, though, too, when you talk about the fact that the White Sox are struggling to score runs, not necessarily taking walks like you would see, you know, when Grandal's not in the lineup, he's clearly their, uh, their best on-base percentage player. You know, he, he will see more pitches than anybody in the lineup. But also, Yohan Mankata has been missing all season, and he's critical, too. Having those two in the lineup really does kind of help balance out, ideally, what they're trying to do when he's in there. So, lacking Mankata, lacking Grandal from time to time, not having those two in the lineups really does put them in a spot where then they become very reliant on getting on base with hits and home runs. So, the hope is that you get some of your pitchers back, Robert returns, all of a sudden this lineup looks a lot better off and it's not such a huge, huge point of when are the White Sox going to turn things around? I can't believe it. They're a five-game losing streak. Again, it's, it's all compounding itself right now, but it only feels that much more immense because of how early we are in the season. Six and seven right now going up against the Twins today at six and eight. But again... Only one game back in the AL Central. So that's the good news regarding the White Sox. As bad as it feels right now, there is a, a positive takeaway in that they're still, it's still right there. Nobody's running away. Of course, the Guardians, I, when you looked at what they did in the offseason, which was aside from signing Jose Ramirez to a long-term deal, essentially nothing. They, they really didn't make any additions. They accept more subtractions than anything for the Guardians. They were just hopeful that uh, they could get Shane Bieber back and throwing and maybe they could make a run, but they really didn't do anything with their roster. So the truth is that the White Sox, as bad as it feels right now, a five-game losing streak and they're only one game back, I look at that as a bit of a positive. As I mentioned earlier, the Atlanta Braves last season, like, you know, they were just plugging along for 108 games. And it wasn't until that point that they finally figured it out. So I think... That's my positive spin on things for White Sox fans is I know everybody was hoping that with a 6-2 and two start, they were going to jump out and be in a good spot. But again, it's really tough. You, you lose critical hitters in your lineup. You lose your starting pitching. 
you know, you might be able to get by losing a few relievers here and there. You can, those are guys who sometimes can be fungible if you can go, go to the minor leagues and find a replacement and call on somebody. But you start losing multiple starters and you start becoming reliant on somebody like the starter Vince Velasquez, who's actually been okay, not terrible for you. Um, you know, he gave you a decent outing, more than you would expect from most people. Kopech and Dylan Cease have really stepped up this year so far from what we've seen. Now, Dylan Cease's start against the Guardians wasn't ideal, but listen, the Dylan Cease, I think, is showing you that he has the potential to, you know, for everything I just said about Giolito, I think Dylan Cease may have the highest upside on the roster for the White Sox. And when you see him, when he's got it going with that slider, with that curveball that he's incorporating a little bit more, I do think Dylan Cease is on the verge of unlocking some things, and I'm encouraged. Now, again, it wasn't it wasn't a great start earlier this week against the Indians, but it wasn't terrible. And I think the point is that if we see more from Dylan Cease, again, it's it's just it's it's so tough. Uh, you have a five game losing streak in such a short period of time; it just feels worse than it actually is. So, hopefully, the White Sox get on the winning ways today against the Twins. Put a uh, snap to it. They're going up against Dylan Bundy, who has been Lights out for the Twins to start the season, 2-0 with a .87 ERA. So with a a lineup that's been struggling, it's not going to get any easier today. But hopefully, just being the fact that uh, they are in the midst of a five-game losing streak, maybe they can. It's the old baseball, you know, you got to get one right and get out of your way here. So maybe they'll just get fortunate and be able to snap the streak today at Target Field with first pitch coming your way at 3.05. Hey, Join us for Family Sundays at Guaranteed Rate Field with tickets starting at $10 and parking for only 15 bucks. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit whitesox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight, who will have your pregame show starting at 2.30 today. Scott Mark. Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for MLB.com, will be joining us at 2 o'clock. I'll pick his brain on what he's, he's seen from the White Sox so far. But up next, all right, I've been teasing it along, I promise you. Miguel Cabrera got his 3,000th hit earlier today. Will we ever see anyone get 3,000 hits again? Let's discuss it next. Recap the game. Cap and Jay Hood, mornings on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to the White Sox Weekly Show here on ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today. Connor will be with you with pregame coverage coming up at 2.30 today with uh, White Sox and Twins at Target Field. 3.05 first pitch. Sox looking to snap a five-game skid and move back to 500 on the season with a win today as they currently stand at 6-7 and seven up against the Twins. All right. I mentioned it earlier, Miguel Cabrera. We've been awaiting it. He had uh, three hits the other day against the Yankees before he was intentionally walked by Aaron Boone, not giving him an opportunity that day to go ahead and get his 3,000th hit. But Miguel Cabrera did have an opportunity today as he stepped to the plate. And Dan Dickerson with a call here on the Tigers radio network. Upright, relaxed stance, tucks the left shoulder in as he cocks the bat over the right. The 1-1 ground ball. Base hit in the right! 3,000 for Miguel Cabrera! So there you go, Miguel Cabrera's 3,000th hit on the Tigers radio network. Again, Dan Dickerson on the call there. And that means that 
Miguel Cabrera is the 33rd player in Major League Baseball history to hit the elite 3,000 hit club. And I ask the question, at the age of 39, Miguel Cabrera, in his 20th season of baseball, have we seen the last player to ever eclipse 3,000 hits? And you may be thinking to yourself, Meller. What are you talking about? 33 players have done it. Yes, it's not easy, of course, but the last player ever. And if you really start to think about it and you take a gander at the active hit leaders across baseball, Miguel Cabrera is second of the active players behind only Albert Pujols. And we know he's winding down his career probably in his last season this year for the Cardinals as he uh, rehooked up with them in the offseason. Pujols has 3,308 currently. Miggy has 3,000. And again, if you want to weigh in, 312-332-3776, we'll take your calls. Robinson Cano currently is in third place on the active hit leaders with 2,630. So that means he's 370 away from 3,000. And at the age of 39, Um, You know, Robinson Cano certainly would have gotten there had he not had two PED suspensions, which lopped off, you know, over a year and a half of games off of his career. So Robinson Cano, no one to blame but himself for probably going to what will be uh, falling just, you know, a season or so shy of 3000 himself. But then if you drop down to number four, currently fourth on the active hit leaders is Yadier Molina who's 39 in his 19th season. Oh, by the way, he's at 2,116. And that's probably not a huge surprise as a catcher, but, you know, he's certainly got no chance at hitting 3,000. Joey Votto, he's fifth with 2,035. He's 38 and he's in his 16th season. So I'm going to venture to say he will not add another 1,000 or so hits to his career total before he hangs him up. And as I jump down, Nelson Cruz, 1924, he's 41. Elvis Andrews, who's really kind of declined over the last few years at 33, he's got 1875. So even though he's a bit younger, I'd have a hard time seeing him get to 3,000. Andrew McCutcheon, he's 35. He's got a 1,838. Uh, jumping down. All right, so the first name that pops up, who might, might have a chance when I really look at it, Jose Altuve currently 32 years old, has 1,783 hits. So he needs roughly a little over 1,200 more hits, and he's 32. So Jose Altuve, if he continues to play at an extremely high level, could, and if he also pushes his playing career out a little bit into maybe his, you know, early, if he plays till he's 40, and he remains healthy. That's been the problem for Jose Altuve, though, over the last couple of years, dealing with some knee injuries that have taken some games away from him. And, oh, by the way, it doesn't help some of the, a lot of these players that they had the, uh, an entire almost you know two-thirds of a season wiped out because of COVID. That obviously was problematic for them. But so I list all those players, right? And none of them really jump out as locks. But if you keep in mind, too, look at it the way baseball has changed. You don't see 
players leading the league in hits with as many hits as they used to. If you just go ahead and peruse, you know, the number of hits it took to lead the league and how it's been declining, it used to be a no-brainer that if you were going to lead the league in hits, you were going to have to have well over 200 hits. You know, if I just go back into the throughout, you know, most of the uh, the 2000s, even into the, I'd say even into roughly 2015-16, Jose Altuve jumps up 14 through 17. He led the league in hits with 225, 200, 216, 204. So Altuve is the one who kind of jumps out. But the way baseball is changing now with the proliferation of max velocity from so many relievers, elite sliders coming out of the bullpen, and, you know, the traditional contact, the the hit tools across baseball. It's not that the hit tool is declining. It's just that pitchers are becoming so much more effective in making it very tough on hitters to get these hits that I do wonder, are we going to see another player get to 3,000? You're going to need to play for a very long time. Uh, Manny Machado right now, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if Manny, if it's not Altuve, maybe Manny Machado, who's at, he's almost halfway there with 1,445. He's 29 years old. So if Manny can put together, and we know he's signed to a long-term deal, so we already know that he, you know, he's locked up for another 10 or so years. If he plays that long and can continue, and it's, you know, it's always to the health and it's not like we have managers stressing the Cal Ripken model of playing day in and day out when you can. We know that guys, you know, the, even the healthiest of players, for the most part, you're not going to see guys play in more than 150, 155 games max from year to year. So it just begs the question, it is possible we may never see a player get to 3,000 hits a game when you factor all this in. So I'm just curious if you think that is, do you think what I'm selling here is is something that you're buying into? Have we seen the last player in baseball history get to 3,000 hits? Let's try Mike, who's in By- Byron, wants to discuss this. Mike, what's going on? You're on White Sox Weekly. Hello. Hey, you know what? This is actually, we have two mics on the line. Mike in, in uh, Gray's Lake, uh, you have a White Sox thought? Yeah, so... Well, yeah. So I was just listening to your, your three thousand, your analyst of three thousand hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I believe you will, um, but I believe it'll be a while. I believe because starting next year, they're banning the shift on the infield. Well, so, there's, so there's been discussion. Obviously, that hasn't, you know, that's not. We don't. We have to kind of see how that plays out. But go ahead, Mike. I'll let you can. Right. So if if they do if they do ban the shift on the infield, I believe you will start seeing higher hit totals. Mm-hmm. That's a, um, back maybe, you know, not like necessarily, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, where guys were hitting, you know, 40 home runs and hitting over 300. But I do believe you will start seeing more action, more hits, if they start banning the shift, because then obviously you have bigger holes. Guys don't have to necessarily worry about launch angle and all that BS, and you can just go out and hit. Yeah. Obviously, exit, exit velocity will still be a major part um, of the game, but... Guys won't have to worry about, oh, you know, I got three guys stacked on the left or on the right side. I have to hit a line drive to get a hit. Yeah. Um, so I believe if they do do that, you will see a 3,000 hitter again. But I believe it won't be for a while to be like a guy like a Nick Madrigal, a guy that can play most of his career not having to face a shift 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Sure. No, no. So, and that, that's look, that's a, that's a good counterpoint, Mike. I hadn't even mentioned ahead. the shift, but it's a that certainly played a role in taking away a lot of hits. I will say though, oh, they've, yeah. there's been some uh, there's been some advanced studies that actually suggest the shift doesn't actually take away as many hits as people believe. Um, if anything, we'll have to kind of see what MLB, what kind of rules they introduce, because I think the bigger issue, it's not so much three guys on one side, you know, on the right side of the infield, you know, for lefties. I, I think the bigger issue is just the positioning of players because they're not going to stop you from, you know, you know, moving a second baseman deep into the hole. And if there's, no, but well, I'm saying, what, I, what I, I think I, that, Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead and finish. No. So I, ju- I think we, we really have to see what kind of rules they want to institute before we can necessarily draw too many conclusions about what, you know, quote, you're, you're right, banning the shift, what it actually entails. But go ahead. 100%. Yeah, because from what I've heard, what they want to do, it's obviously guys can still shift, but I believe it's what they want to do is keep two guys on the left side, two guys on the right yes, side. Yes. So you will not see that shortstop on the right side of the bag or the, you know, yes, or the second baseman. So then that does give you another big hole up the middle that, because I mean, you see how many times have you, I mean, first of all, that's the biggest hole in the field is up the middle. And I actually believe there's a lot more hits that get taken away up the middle. Mm-hmm. And with that second, now, because when they also shift, say, say if there's a lefty up, they shift that uh, the shortstop onto the right side of that bag. And then it gives that second baseman playing kind of like a rover and kind of short right field. And I believe a lot of lefties, if you ask Joey Gallo, <laughs> yes. well, he would much rather not see that. And if you, they do bend that shift, because then that second baseman, can't play that kind of rover in the yes. outfield because you're leaving way too big of a hole. I, no, it's, and, it, I, and I do, and I'm not saying you're going to see guys go from hitting 250 to 300, but I, I do believe you'll see a guy go from hitting 250, 225, maybe mm-hmm. to 275-ish. No, no, you, you're, you know? yeah, no, it's a good point, Mike, and thanks for the call. I do appreciate it here on White Sox Weekly. Um, you know, the shift actually wasn't even a, a huge point, but it, it's you know, the counterpoint will be depending on what they do, you know, keeping two guys on the right side of the infield, two guys on the left, you know, you know, there'll be ways around it where essentially you'll just have your shortstop, you know, Tim Anderson, if you want to shift him, he'll just be essentially right next to second base. And so he'll be up the middle, maybe not on the, on the other side of the bag, but still close enough. So it's, we really have to see what kind of uh, rules major league baseball institutes before we can understand what kind of effects banning a shift would do let's try mike who's in byron i know he wanted to talk about this wanted to add uh the dh to the discussion hey mike you're on white Sox weekly here with jeff meller what's going on man hey thanks for taking taking my call uh i think the chances of seeing another three thousand hitter mm-hmm. are even better now that the national league has brought in designated hitter so, so i think you're going to see longer lives and more at bats by a lot of a lot of guys Yeah, so that's an interesting point, Mike. But, you know, I think about it, too, with the DH. Think So for the longest time, the designated hitter was used as, okay, let's get a big plotting thumper who, you know, can hit me 30 dingers and, you know, be a middle-of-the-order hitter. That was for, you know, know, with its introduction in the 70s, you know, for all the 80s and most of the 90s. And even a good portion of the early 2000s. And then some point, you know, in the late 2000s, I would say, a lot of 
forward-thinking front offices discovered, you know what? We, it's great to have a great hitter, but if you don't have yourself a David Ortiz type, it is probably more prudent to use the designated hitter as an opportunity to get a guy to rest his legs. And so we no longer have the traditional DH, you know, the, the hairy-chested thumper, if you will. It's used now for an opportunity to get the guy the rest so that he can get it off his feet in the field for a day, if anything, and keep his bat still in the lineup. And so I don't know if the DH is really going to end up extending as many careers as you might think. I, if anything, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think the way it's being utilized more, we, we may just see you know managers take advantage of giving their guys a rest day. And again, still, you, you know, as I mentioned, without giving you know somebody the Cal Ripken run, like guys just don't have these consecutive game streaks anymore. That's not, I think we've realized it's not in the best interest of making a guy go out there day after day and playing every day. In fact, he probably benefits from having a day off from time to time. So that I think is why I'm not necessarily sold that the DH will actually help enhance potential guys. And again, I'm just looking across baseball. It's been declining year after year, uh, the guys who lead the league in hits. It's just harder for people to get hits these days. You know, and maybe it's everything. It's strikeouts are up all across baseball. Um, the shift obviously playing a role a little bit. But if anything, maybe you get to 200, but you just don't see those insane hit totals that you once did from some of the best hitters in baseball. You know, you don't see those each row, you know, 210, 220, 230 seasons really anymore across the league. And, and I think it's everything, lack of anybody playing 162 games. You don't have anyone, you know, you don't have those Juan Pierre's out there anymore because, again, it's just the way baseball's been. And so I think it is completely possible that today was the last time we see a player get 3,000 hits. Let's try Kevin, who's in Lincoln Park. Kevin, you're on White Sox Weekly with Jeff Miller. What's up, my man? Yeah, and I just wanted to add to the uh, the conversation here about the 3,000 hits and just also another consideration, you know, guys are seeing less at-bats per game. Mm-hmm. Um you're probably talking about 50 less at-bats in a given season or, or maybe even 100, but with the uptick in strikeouts and guys you know, beginning to, to change their philosophy hitting-wise to more of that doubles, home runs approach, yeah. you know, the, value, the value now is really in can we hit a home run and quickly score one run versus you know, knock them around and in to just get the, the single run. So I definitely think that, that you're accurate in saying that it's, it's possible that somebody even like Mike Trout with all that he's done and all the success, um, you know, even he's still focused on the doubles and extra base hits and, and what have you. So definitely think that I'm uh, in agreement with you there. Yeah, and, you know, Trout's a great example. You know, he's one of the best hitters in baseball, but you look at the fact that, you, you know, you, you hit your 30s and, you know, the old cliche, father time's undefeated. All of a sudden, those nagging injuries start to turn into longer-term injuries. And Mike Trout, you know, with the calf strain last year, basically missed, you know, all of the season. He's currently at 1,428 hits at 30. So that's that looks pretty good on paper, but then when you factor in the last couple seasons, he's missed large chunks of seasons due to injury. It becomes problematic, and he, he has, you know, we were talking about the DH. He has an issue with uh, one of the best hitters in baseball who occupies the DH, a man known as Shohei Otani. So he can't even really utilize the DH that often because they don't want Shohei, uh, you, you know, throwing in the outfield because they want to save his arm 
for the days that he pitches. So it's uh, it's just an interesting thing that you need health to have a almost 20-year career, and you also need to be you know a hitter who's going to buck the trend and maybe focus on you know, settling for those singles. One of our callers mentioned Nick Madrigal. I mean, listen, Nick Madrigal, we all know uh, Nicky Two Strikes has the hit tool in his bag, but the problem for him, I think, is, um, you know, looking at a or projecting a potential, you know, uh, 15-plus year career, that's where uh, it gets a little bit problematic for me. And he's so early in his career. Well, it's funny, I was talking about this with somebody in the office the other day, and we were just trying to throw out names of guys who we thought could be the next guy to get 3,000 hits. And two separate people mentioned to me they thought Wander Franco would be the best bet. Wander Franco. He, all of uh, 20, 21 years old, you know, with uh, I think about 100 hits in his Major League Baseball career. People were pegging their hopes on him as the next man to get 3,000 hits. So I was just amused by that. All right. Plenty of time left for your calls. I see you, Owen, Dave. Plenty more. Scott Merkin coming up at 2 o'clock. Take a quick time out and then get back to you. Again, 312-332-3776 here on White Sox Weekly. Don't forget, be even closer to the action this season. Be located directly behind home plate with the Trust Scout Seats, where they offer access to our newly designed luxury club experience with all-inclusive food and beverage, in-seat service, and parking. Plans include flexible payment plans and 2022 postseason opportunities. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or... Visit WhiteSox.com. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly. Carm and the Good Kid, noon to 2, weekdays on ESPN 1000. Back with you here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Pinch hitting for Connor McKnight today. He'll be up at 2.30 with your pregame show as the White Sox and Twins have a 3.05 first pitch at Target Field as the White Sox look to snap their five-game losing streak. Let's pause 10 seconds quickly here for a legal ID. Midwest Bank, a division of Old National Bank State Street Studio. All right, taking your phone calls again, 312-332-3776, as we do every week right here on Saturdays on White Sox Weekly, two hours before the White Sox game on Saturday. We're here for you. Let's try Dave, who's in Crown Point, wants to talk some Sox. Dave-o, what's going on, my man? Well, actually, I I don't want any of my cuff buddies to hear me, but I'm I'm a baseball fan. Listen, Dave, you're more than welcome. All baseball fans welcome. Okay. Okay. All right. I got a I got a comment and a question. Um, my comment on the the three thousand hitter. Mm-hmm. Well, there are less less turf fields nowadays too. You know, mm-hmm. back then Pete Rose, Pete sure. Rose played Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Montreal. Yep. I can't remember the other ones. So there's less Philly, there's less yeah. less turf field. Yeah, Philadelphia. Um, now, as far as the shift. Well, one of the first shifts ever was when the bases are loaded in the bottom of bottom of the ninth, and the score was tied. You would walk two guys, get the bases loaded, and then bring in the center fielder to play, you know, behind second base or in front of second base. Is that going to be allowed? Is that considered a shift? Bringing an outfielder in to play an infield? Uh, you know, it, no, like it's they're all fair questions, Dave. Absolutely, uh, you know that's why I said it's going to be interesting to see. 
when MLB does institute a rule ab- about the shift, what exactly that rule is going to entail, you know, because, again, whatever they outline, you know, it's it can be manipulated to an extent. Right. And how much right. will it really prohibit teams from, quote, shifting? Right. Like maybe it'll push them over a few feet, but there still will be some type of shift in place. So it's, it's a fair question, Dave. I, I don't know until we get that answer. Right. Yeah, because I just wonder because they've been they've been doing that since the early days, bringing the the center fielder in and putting yeah. him in the ninth. So I don't know if that's considered a shift or that whatever that. So I'm interested in seeing how that takes place. Good show, guys. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate the call, man. Uh, again, Dave drops off, leaves the line open for you at three one two three three two three seven seven six. Up next, though, we will have a chance to chat with Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for MLB.com. Learn from the pros this summer at a White Sox summer camp presented by Wintrust. Starting at $159, kids ages 5 to 12 can register for a camp at any of our 50 locations throughout the Chicagoland area. To learn more, visit whitesox.com slash play. All right, up next, Scott Merkin joins us to give us the latest on the White Sox as they are set to visit the Twins today at Target Field. Again, I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight will be with us here at 2.30 with the pregame show. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Tell your smart speaker, play ESPN 1000. Welcome back to the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today here on White Sox Weekly. Getting you set for the White Sox and Twins in the second of their three-game set today at Target Field. Of course, the White Sox trying to snap their five-game skid right now as they have fallen to 6-7 and seven on the year after a promising 6-2 and two start. Find themselves one game behind the Guardians after uh, that debacle in Cleveland over the week. It's a good chance now to check in with Scott Merkin. Again, I always say my favorite Merkin. He is here on ESPN 1000 and... Scotty, uh, give me your assessment of uh, the tough stretch that the White Sox are in right now as they try and find their way through it with Vince Velasquez on the mound today. First of all, poor Randy and my other brother Jeff, and they just never get, and my mom and nieces and nephews and everyone else, they just never get the props that they deserve, I think, you know? Well, you know what? We have. I, I mean, I should be number one, but they should get props in the same, in listen, the same breath, listen, though, don't get, you think? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's fair. Um, honorable mention, also receiving, <laughs> verts, also receiving votes. Jeff Merkin, your uh, your mother, uh, and your nieces and nephews, and then Randy is in a distant, distant, I don't know, 10th place. But nevertheless, <laughs> that doesn't mean he's not a great Merkin. He is just not our favorite. Scott, what there do you, you make go. of where the Sox are at right now, though, uh, this five-game losing streak? Like, I come in here, um, you know, uh, filling in for Connor today, and maybe I'm not the best because... I'm a little bit more rational when I look at my baseball in the bigger picture. You know, I, right. I look at it analytically. I see a 162 game grind that they're trying to get through. I see a team that's been, you know, battered by some injuries right now. And, you know, everybody got really pumped up about a six and two start. And now, you know, they see a five game losing streak and everybody's, you know, losing their minds. And that's why, you know, maybe come in here somewhere in between because I'm way too rational about it. But some of the fans are like, don't tell me how to feel, Meller. This is a five-game losing streak, and they got to get back on track. Right. Yeah, if this were an NFL season, they'd be in big trouble, right? But uh, it's not. And they're still the best team in that division by a good margin. I get that there's been some 
you know, lack of a better word, ugly play in in this losing streak. What they had, the Indian. I'm sorry. Up there's a there's a fine. The Guardians, Cleveland, mm-hmm. had something like what seven or eight straight hits against Dallas Keuchel on the 11-1 loss, and the defense has not been good. I mean, the interesting thing is Tim Anderson has been as good as any shortstop defensively over the last couple of years, and he's hit a slump. You know, I mean, yeah. you you hit defensive slumps as much as you hit base running slumps and offensive slumps and you know slumps on the mound. And he's made six errors in three games, which is very, you know, uncharacteristic for him. So they, it's just all kind of combined together. And I, I guess it's, you know, it's easy to go say, you know, oh, take infield and do more BP and do this. No, I think it's just, you know, they're all collectively going. There's a member also, and, it's, and it affects every team. And it may be why there hasn't been a dominant team from the start. But I think if my math is right, most teams would just be finishing up or maybe have just finished a regular spring training if it wasn't cut short. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see some, you know, some shortcomings. And we've seen a lot of offensive shortcomings overall in baseball. And really, aside from the Dodgers, I might be missing some on my head, but there's no one who's jumped out and is just running away from baseball in the first 13 games. So, yeah, I understand frustration. No question about it. It has not been good baseball. It was a, it was actually a pretty good game last night. Yes. Until, you know, the one situation where, you know, Anderson and Brady make error. But people make physical errors in baseball. That's just how it happens, right? And it's, it's just um, accentuated or made worse because they're not hitting right now. Pitching has been good. Bullpen has been good. Offense has not been great. And... The defense lately has not been great, but most of all, you know, is the injuries. They just have to get healthy. So that's a very long answer to say, I think they're still going to be in the playoffs. And it would be, to me, personally, a shock if they were not a playoff team come October. No, you're, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. Uh, you're so right, too, because the Tim Anderson point, he's in a funk in the field right now. And there's a, most guys in their career will not go through an entire career, an entire long career, where they have a stretch of six errors in three games. It's, it's a great point by you. And I was, it's, it was, they really did, you know, even though the White Sox have been struggling to score some runs of late, they really did play a, a beautiful game up until that point of the game when, you know, and Kendall Graveman, it looked like, you know, the first two hitters, he's, he's on cruise control, didn't look like it was going to be an issue. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're absolutely right. It's just Tim Anderson, it, it found him in the hole. And you could see, um, you know, he, the ball got stuck in his glove, and he took four or five steps before he was able to get the throw right, out. Right. And at that point, and that takes the that takes the force out at second, pretty much. Absolutely. You know, and, then, and then you got to go to, and you know, probably in hindsight, I didn't really. We talked to him a little bit after the game. I didn't talk to him today, but he probably should have just held on to the ball, right? And then you have what a guy on first and second, and let Graveman try and get out of the inning. And then on the on the flip side of that, Jose yeah. tries to come off the bag get the ball and then he probably makes an ill-advised throw home especially since arise was standing on third when he threw it it gets away from mcguire gets by graveman by the time graveman gets it arise scores and it's just kind of a perfect mess in that situation but again mistakes are going to happen there's going to be stretches where they don't hit i thought graveman's comments were very pertinent after the game that he feels like they're close to going on a stretch the other way you know lucas giolito is scheduled to come back tomorrow lance lynn lynn is with this team on the road trip A.J. Pollock is back. You know, Moncada still, those obliques are tricky. I remember uh, Adam Dunn in 2012, his comeback player of the year year, he played in September with an oblique strain because they were in contention. They were in first place, not even just in contention. And I remember him saying something about, excuse me, it took like two months after the season for him to feel normal from that. Now, again, he played through it for a month. So there you go. But I understand that, you know, it's it's not, you know, Rick, when he talks about Moncada, he gives – you know, the timetable they think at the time, but you can't assume 
you can't assume linear health after that. You can't assume everything's going to go perfectly and hit every step. That, you know, last year, Jimenez and Robert came back a little quicker than people thought, so maybe it'll take Moncada another couple weeks. But they're getting healthy. Weather's warming up. They're getting the bats in. No one in that division has jumped out to a 13-0 start, so they're not. it's not like they're, you know, even if they were not playing great, they're seven, eight games back in the division. I, I really think, you know, they have some things to shore up, but they're going to be fine. No, it's well said because they're still – the entire division is a game and a half within each other. You know, nobody, you're, you're right. No, there's no Dodgers to be concerned about right now. And so as, you know, a five-game losing streak, 13 games in the season feels much worse than it actually is. Yeah, with, 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 with that said, I would say, you know, don't disregard the division. I think Cleveland's got pitching, mm-hmm. and the Twins are going to be better this year. I mean, I, I believe that they had a similar start to the Sox, only their issue last year was bullpen. They lost a lot of late games that just kills momentum and then they, it just kind of fell apart and i think the tigers i i predict the tigers are going to be in contention for a playoffs but i think they have you know aj Hinch does a nice job with that team they have good talent across the board they added some key veterans so it's not to say that the Sox can just you know put on their spikes and uh throw a few balls around before the game and they're going to win the division by 15 games but still even with teams improving at division the Sox are the best team in the al central I would agree. Scott Merkin of MLB.com joining us as he covers the White Sox here with us on White Sox Weekly on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. You mentioned uh, the expectation is that Lucas Giolito will be back on the mound tomorrow. Is that official? We still waiting. I mean, I know Tony's hinted at it. So that is the expectation tomorrow that Lucas will return. Yeah, I think it won't be official until they bring him off the, well, I know it won't be official until they bring him off the injured list. I was not in, I was off for the Cleveland series, but I believe Tony said in that series that he will be pitching Sunday. He's here with the team, looks good spirits. It's still listed as TBD, but you know, the yes. guy who may be moved for Giolito could pitch today, right? So sure. there's, they're leaving things as is, but you know, him coming back and they, I think he missed the exact two starts that they said he would, he's ready to go. Got some w- good work in Arizona, AJ Pollock who hit against him in a live VP or simulated game, whatever the heck they call him these days, said he looked great. So yeah, it's you know it's back to normal. You got your opening day ace back. And Lance Lynn is probably a few weeks behind him, and that's you know we were talking before the game in the press box. Think about that when they're all healthy, when you have Giolito, Lynn, Cease, and Kopech as your front four in that rotation. No doubt that's about- going to match up against a, a, pretty much any team in baseball, right? Maybe maybe the Dodgers are the only. But Dodgers have like you know. Their their second team would probably win seventy games in baseball if they played a full season. So they're off the charts. But I mean, think about that. Those yeah. four, whoever you have as fifth starter, whether it's Dallas Keuchel or Johnny Cueto or Vince Velasquez or Ronaldo Lopez, those first four in a, in any kind of important series going into playoff series match up real well. No, there's no doubt about it. And the truth is, I I was having this conversation with, with a Sox fan yesterday. The reality is that, you know, you get yourself an, an early season injury, but if the, especially a pitcher, if they can come back from it and then, you know, get back with plenty of time left to ramp up. And as you mentioned, the White Sox, I agree with you, are still the best team in this division. You know, you, you end up actually, it could be one of those silver linings because you save some innings at the early part of the season. If you can just survive it, you know, as a staff, Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, you don't want them to miss starts, but if you can get by it, and then sure enough, as the season gets extended potentially into October, well, maybe, just maybe, again, that could be something that could actually be a benefit to your team as the season progresses. Again, you would never sign up for it, but it could be something that could be uh, you know, a good thing when all is said and done throughout the grind of a baseball yeah, that's, season. That's, 
that's a fair point. I should add something else. I keep talking about best team in the division. And I understand that not just Sox fans, but the Sox players, Rick Hahn, Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, they don't want to be the best team in the American League or the AL Central. They want to be the best team in baseball. But to get to that point, you got to win the division first, right? And I think, you know, Toronto looks very good early. The Yankees can hit. I'm not going to go through every team that looks good, but I mean, there's a lot of teams who can compete right there with the Sox. But I don't think there's anyone who you look at, even in the AL, and you say, oh, man, you know, the Sox are going to have to have a really good series if it gets to that point to win that. I think they match up really well. But the first step is win the division for a second straight year and get to that, get to the playoffs somehow so you can take those kind of opportunities. But, yeah, I think, you know, Lynn is going to – I think the starting rotation hit probably a little bit of a wall when it came to the playoffs last year, a little fatigue. And you're right. You know, I mean, Giulio just missed two starts, but Lynn's going to miss basically two months, it looks like. So that may keep him fresher down the stretch. And that's the key thing is you want guys – you want the team to play well come October. Look at Atlanta. You know, I mean, Atlanta was – I remember being in Las Vegas last year in Atlanta. I think it was like August was like 22 to one to win the world series. So not exactly a favorite. And they come on and have a great, you know, October, the pieces they add weren't exactly the the biggest names available, but they all fit great. And they go and, you know, Jorge Soler wins the MVP and they win the world series. So, it's, it's all about time, having the talent and then matching that up with the timing to, to win it. As they say, Scott Merkin, great minds think alike. I have referenced the Atlanta Braves numerous times today on the show. Uh, in particular, two-thirds of the way through the season last year, 108 games. They were 53 and 55. So that's all you need to know right. about what kind of run you need to go on um, and how it doesn't – it's all – again, it is – it's, uh, you know, it's – if you, sure, you'd like to be one of those teams like the Dodgers or, or Giants last year who can win 100-plus games, but the reality is that that's a very difficult thing to do. And um, unless you're in – you know, you have fortunate injury luck and you're ex- you have an extremely deep roster, that's tough to do for a lot of teams. So – just be playing your best baseball, you know, it, it come August and September, and then good things can happen. Uh, sure. So we've hit on a lot of the pitching here, but I think the hot-button topic for a lot of White Sox fans, at least what I've encountered today, Scott, is the fact that Dallas Keuchel, how short a leash is he going to have, especially considering Giolito if he returns tomorrow? You know, you've got Cueto potentially as an option there, you know, how many more starts do you think Dallas Keuchel gets until they finally say, "Hey, man, um, you know," I, and I don't even know what the what the alternative was is if if he can't continue to make starts because you know he's not somebody you necessarily look to as a long man out of relief. So, like, what is the leash for Dallas Keuchel right now? Yeah, I, I think he's still in the road. You know, they're going to have some decisions to make eventually. Obviously, when uh, Lance Lynn comes back and now Giolito's joining the rotation, but. You know, I didn't watch a ton of the game where he got hit in, in Cleveland, but I know did not have great defensive support in either of the innings and then, you know, made a bad pitch to Ramirez who hit a grand slam and that changes the whole the whole outlook. And, you know, again, gave up, what, 10 hits and over just over an inning plus. That's not going to work, obviously. But, I, you know, he's in the mix until they find something else. And, you know, Johnny Cueto is, I don't think he's pitching with the same velocity that he had as a young pitcher, but the guy knows how to pitch. He's, you know, kind of ramping up at Charlotte now, but there's no guarantees until he gets here that he's going to be some sort of, you know, that's kind of a chance too. That's yeah, not no doubt. a lock, a, a lock signing. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a good bet for what you're investing in him and you take a chance. But again, I, I think it's, it's unfair and too early to predict anyone going anywhere aside from the fact that, you know, that when they're healthy, Giolito, Lynn, Cease and Kopech are the main four of that rotation. That is true, and if you got four, that's a good starting point for any Major League Baseball yeah, team. All right, uh, quickly, before we uh, wrap things up here, Scott, I laid out my case. We saw today 
Miguel Cabrera become the 33rd player in baseball history to uh, to actually get 3,000 hits in his career. And I was just kind of spitballing, asking the question, if you look at the list of active leaders, you know, the guys who are, you know, in the top 10, there's really nobody who's, you know, uh, a young chicken there, you know, Jose Altuve, who's 10th right now in active hit leaders, has 1,783. He probably looks like the best bet of anybody who might be able to do it coming up. But that's obviously years away. And, you know, he needs to be healthier than he's been the last couple of years. Do you think right. it's possible the way baseball's changing with, you know, just, uh, you know, hits being harder and harder to come by? Do you think it's possible Miguel Cabrera becomes the last player to actually eclipse 3,000 hits? I mean, it's interesting. You know, the guy who probably had a chance was Robinson Cano, but kind of self-inflicted yep. uh, da- damage there. That you know, I mean, because he he's got as sweet a swing as you'll see out there. It, 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 at least in his prime, it was as smooth as anyone. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting debate, and I do wonder. But you, there may be someone who comes out of nowhere that really takes off. And but I mean, think about how great he's he's been. I, I think we should give props to Cabrera. I, I saw a stat that Anthony Castrovins of our wonderful company tweeted out that. I believe he, it's Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, and Miguel Cabrera, 3, 000, at least 3,000 hits, at least 500 homers, and a 300 average for your career. That's it. Yep. That's pretty good company. I mean, the guy won the Triple Crown. The guy has led Tigers to the playoffs. He has. He, I think he's good for the game. You see him interacting with fans. We're talking about that on the field, about the couple YouTube clips where he shakes hands of the one young fan at Fenway behind home plate, and then he gives the one kid the bat who was kind of giving it to him, you know, in Cleveland and – it's it's just it's a good, it's a good you know player to have in baseball, but yeah, I, I don't think you could ever say last. Although I think you know Cy Young is probably the last of the 500 game winners in Major League Baseball history. I think we can safely guess that one. But I you know I, I think it's gonna it it takes a lot of work to get to 3,000 hits, as shown by the guys who got there. There is no doubt about it. A uh, longevity and a, a truly. Great career for Miguel Cabrera, and uh, yes, a very cool achievement for him today as uh, he got his 3,000th hit for the Tigers. All right, Scott, go enjoy today's game uh, as the Sox square off against the Twins, and I'm sure we'll be catching up with you very soon again on these very radio stations. So thanks for joining me today here on White Sox Weekly, Scott. Sure, anytime, Jeff. Take care. I appreciate it. That is Scott Merkin. Again, he covers the White Sox for MLB.com, does a great job, and has been covering the White Sox for a very long time. All right, uh, we have one more segment to go here on White Sox Weekly uh, as I, Jeff Meller, fill in for Connor McKnight today. Again, Connor coming your way in about 10 minutes as he will have the pregame show for you right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Hey, bring your family of four to a White Sox game starting at $70 with a family four-back presented by ExxonMobil. You'll get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips to select games please i'm sorry plus with every purchase you have a chance to win mobile gasoline for a year and we can all use some gas at a, a, a nice price these days can't we for tickets visit whitesocks.com slash four packs again i'm jeff meller in for connor mcknight coming who connor will be up in 10 minutes with your pregame show this is the esp 1000 hard rock casino white Sox network <laughs> Black and Abdallah, weeknights at 6 on ESPN 1000. Jeff Meller wrapping things up here on White Sox Weekly as we get set for the White Sox pregame show, which will be brought to you by Connor McKnight here in about five minutes. Uh, Len Casper and Darren Jackson will have the call of White Sox at the Twins 
in Target Field with a 305 first pitch. Uh, don't forget to learn from the pros this summer at a White Sox summer camp presented by Wintrust starting at $159. Kids ages 5 to 12 can register for a camp at any of our 50 locations throughout the Chicagoland area. To learn more, visit whitesox.com slash play. Thanks to Jake Cantu, Charlie Bevins, that's Bevins, no L. Thanks also to Eric Ostrowski. He is the executive producer of White Sox Baseball. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you guys tolerating me. Again, I'm Jeff Meller, filling in for Connor McKnight, who is up next. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.